0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon our listeners. Welcome once again here in Lifetime Show. You're listening to Aniko Rahman, and I'm joined by Dr. Tariq Pajwa, who is with me here in the studio. I welcome him in the show. Assalamu alaikum peace be upon you. Wa
1: alaikum peace be upon you and all our listeners. Uh, unfortunately, the weather has changed yesterday and um, it's very very wet. Uh, I think uh, luckily I, I got hold of uh, uh, an umbrella. So <laughs> that uh, but uh, it is uh, quite a change from the yeah. you know initially the last week Last week was quite hot, and then this week was, uh, you know, sudden change. Uh, we're looking for uh, jackets and, you know. Yeah, true. You must clothing. be coming from home. Yeah, uh, yeah, and today m- it's very wet, so it's, a, it's, it's
0: very typical of British weather. True, yeah. I think yeah. I miss the umbrella and I go wet, so <laughs> <laughs> you must be coming from home and uh, you got it from there. Anyways, uh, let's uh, get back, um, you know, uh, today's show. As our listeners know, we do... Uh, Two hours live show every day and um, at least six days a week where we discuss different topics and uh, we'll be discussing two topics, one in each hour. And uh, through this discussion, uh, we'll be having uh, some guests who will be giving some insight on that particular topic. And uh, for to, to 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 you know give your uh, view on anything, you can definitely call us on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and you can tweet at Voice of Islam. You can visit our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Today, uh, in the first hour, we'll be discussing uh, an important topic I think, which applies in everybody's life, which is work work, make it your happy place. You know, the work you know ethic and commitment to working hard are foundational principles uh, that shape the course of our lives and, uh, you know, the outcomes we achieve. These values reflect not only uh, our dedication to our passions, but also our character and integrity as individuals. And work ethic encompasses the attitude, behaviors, and uh, values that that guide our approach to work and highlighting our willingness to put in the effort and determination required to excel uh, in our endeavors whether in the workplace academic pursuit or personal aspirations a strong work ethic is often the differentiating factor between mediocrity and greatness in this exploration we will Dive into the significance of work ethic and reward that stem from a steadfast commitment to to working hard. You know, offering insight into how these principles can lead to personal and uh, and uh, and professional fulfillment and success. In Islam, the significance of an honest work, you know, ethic is deeply rooted in the teaching of the teaching of the Holy Quran and the traditions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Honestly, in one's work is seen as a reflection of one's faith and integrity. The Quran encourages believers to engage in honest labor and to earn their you know livelihood through lawful means. <coughs> Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, emphasized the dignity of work and and the importance of performing one's duties with sincerity and honesty. You know, under Uh, Underscoring the idea that honest work not only sustains individuals and their families but also contributes positively to society. It is a means of seeking Allah's blessings and uh, you know the fulfilling one's responsibilities as a uh, you know member of the community. And in Islam, an honest work ethic is not just a matter of financial gain. It is moral imperative that shapes a person's character and helps build a just and equitable society so you know in today's evolving society the pursuit of happiness in the workplace has become compelling goal recognizing that individuals spend a substantial portion of their lives at work there is a growing emphasis uh, on the creating environments where employees can find general fulfillment and commitment the societal shift has led organizations to you know, prioritize not only productivity and profitability, but also employee well-being and job satisfaction by fostering a culture of inclusivity, you know, open communication and work-life balance. Societies are striving to ensure that the workplace is not just a site of labor, but a space where, you know, the individuals can flourish personally and professionally. The collective aspiration to achieve happiness in the workplace is not only a reflection of uh, evolving values, but also a recognition of the positive impact it can have on the overall society well-being. So
1: today we will try to explore different aspects of happiness at work. How can it be inculcated in a lasting way? How can we use research and psychology to create a positive work culture and foster happiness and motivation in people? you know when you go to the office most of the people you know they they are dreading on uh, the night before well, tomorrow is monday and that's why you so you see you are uh, uh, familiar with the world of monday's blues because you know they are dreading that tomorrow is a work day and we have to go to the office but it can change you know it's a way is your attitude. Is the So that's what we will be discussing today, that the true happiness at work, a mere construct, or is it actually an achievable reality for everyone? Um, let's dive right into it. The International Week of Happiness at Work is a globally celebrated event dedicated to promoting happiness and well-being in the workplace. Typically held during the last week of September, that's where we soon will be, Underscores the importance of fostering positive and supportive work environments where employees can thrive and find genuine satisfaction in their professional lives. It ultimately encourages us all to prioritize happiness in our work and recognize its profound impact on our overall well-being. So, in, in this connection, soon we'll be talking to one of our guests who can uh, speak on uh, this particular topic: of why and how, why it is important that we can have happiness at work, and uh, how we can achieve it, and how the work is being influenced uh, with your mood, how happy you are, because if you are miserable at work, your out your you know your outcome definitely is affected, and. Uh, even the quality of work what you are doing will be uh, will be such that you you can be uh, affected by that so uh, we got our uh, first guest
0: uh, anik um, can you introduce her please yes uh, we have a first guest <coughs> fernande wender mullen uh, i Um, I apologize in the beginning if I'm pronouncing it uh, not correctly. Fernanda is a co-founder of Happy Office 2015 and co-author of the Happy Office Manifesto, the four pillars of a happy work culture and and co-creator of the International Week of Happiness at Work and has 30 years of experience in strategic marketing and communications. She's strongly driven by other success. If a trainee is able to make a change in her or his company, I'm happy to... I'm happy that, that that's what she says. I welcome her in the show. alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, uh, Fernandez. Moving on to our first question, uh, could yes. you please tell our listeners what is the International Week of Happiness at Work, and how uh, did you you first become or you know involved or interested in it?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, um, we founded uh, our company Happy Office in the Netherlands in 2015. And back then, happy, happiness at work was really something very odd. Everybody was saying, huh? What are you doing, Fernanda? Why are you starting this company? Because, you know, that's so fluffy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but we, we soon. Uh, found that there was a lot of traction and a lot of interest in the topic but what was really interesting back then that was in 2017 that there was the the dutch government organized a week of work stress Mm -hmm. so my colleague and i were talking about this and what shall we do and then we thought we said to each other that it's really strange that there's a week for something that nobody wants Mm. stress at work but there's not a week or or a day or something uh for happiness at work which everybody wants right so um, well we initiated the week uh, and the first time we did it in 2018 and since then it has spread all over the world Um, in more than 50 countries uh, companies are putting the the topic uh, on the agenda that week and are organizing uh, something so I think it's really amazing how this this movement spread all over the world uh, in, in just a couple of years
0: Amazing! I think everybody is in need of this. That's why it must have uh, you know spread rapidly. Uh, moving on, uh, can you share some key objectives and goals of the International Week of Happiness at Work? And you know, what are the main activities or initiatives associated with it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, um, it's our goal, and and we often say, as Americans uh, say, so beautiful. It's our moonshot to make happiness at work the norm and not the exception and I think in a lot of organizations that's still not the case. So um, the International Week of Happiness at Work is one of the, of the things that we do to contribute to that goal uh, and um, we always say that this International Week of Happiness at Work is a, is a do-it-yourself movement. So we ask everybody and we invite everybody to organize something, whatever you want, you know, whatever fits in your organization or whatever fits in your, in your country or in your workplace, uh, because we don't own this movement. It's it's a shared ownership from all of us, um, and, and it's also a shared responsibility to uh, to enhance happiness at work. And what we as initiators do is we offer a platform where we share tips, ideas, stories of organisations to join the movement, and we also support uh, local initiatives with ideas. We send them the logo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And next to that, uh, we organise a lot of stuff, of course, like uh, events with uh, speakers, and we have uh, webinars in the Netherlands and both in English as in as in Dutch. Um, yeah, so on the one hand, we support people that organize something in their organization. And we also organize a lot of stuff, uh, both internationally and in the Netherlands.
0: You know, amazing what you're doing. Is there any notable success stories or best practices from past International Weeks of Happiness at Work You know, that, that, that you find particularly inspiring?
2: Oh, you know, there are so many... Uh, examples of organizations that started to build a, a positive work culture and started to put a topic on the agenda during this week and then continued from there mm. uh, which is really amazing of course and it's, it's you know it's it's big companies and it's small companies uh, just today I received an email from a recruitment company they were in instruction and electro technical work uh, and they have a whole program for the week with a daily challenge. They're going to to do a walk and then make a picture and uh, the people with the nicest uh, picture, they win a, a prize, they have a lunch, they give out compliment cards, a goodie bag. It's it's all kinds of different stuff. And you know, for me, the most inspiring stories are those with a long-term impact, of course, because you can do all kinds of fun things during this week. But uh, if you have a lousy or even a toxic company culture, and then, you know, the next week, it will just be the same bad workplace. So doing things only during this week, uh, it doesn't have much impact. So I'm always most inspired by companies that heard of the initiative and started with something small during the week, and then learned about the science and the pillars of happiness to work, and then incorporated it in their daily work process. And there are many organizations that did that. Mm-hmm. um but the funny thing is that most of it we don't know because we say you know it's a do-it-yourself mo- movement so most of the of the stories we don't even hear um but i know from a lot of people that told me oh yeah we did this and we started in uh we started five years ago and now we do it every year and we also did this this and this in our organization so it yes it has a lot of impact
0: and true um you have already covered it in case, you know, as I wanted to ask, which you slightly covered, that how people is taking it, you know, is there anything they come to you that something has changed in their life or, you know, anything which you would like to mention? Otherwise, we definitely can carry on move on to the next question. So do you mean what they can do? You no, know, they must have. You started something new in their life, isn't it? You mentioned about what they think. Is, is there any stories particularly which you would like to mention as what, change they feel or you know how they celebrate this day mm-hmm. the people who have uh, joined this scheme or yeah, as you said there are some you know uh, companies are doing the work as people are yeah. joining there as well so mm-hmm. how how do they take this this day
2: yeah well it's very different and uh, some some organizations take it very big and others mm. just do like a five-day challenge about happiness at work and like, for example, next week on Monday morning, I'm doing a keynote for, uh, for an organization that's a big international organization,
3: mm-hmm. and they
2: are, uh, so we teach them about the four pillars of happiness at work and how you can enhance your happiness, and then we do a challenge during the week. So people actually also get to work with
4: Amazing.
2: with the pillars and with the, the theory and the, the, the practices that we, uh, that we teach them.
1: Just one last question, Fernandez, Is uh, you know, what advice do you have for those looking to promote workplace happiness year round? Uh,
2: yeah, well, I think it's always important to know what you're talking about. So study the science and learn what really contributes to happiness at work, and then just experiment. So try, uh, start with small things and simple things, and try out. Does it work or does it not work? And it can be really small things like organize a discussion about what makes you happy as a team at work, uh, invite a speaker, uh, focus on positive feedback, organize a challenge. And those are all fun, fun things to start with. Um, but if you want to do something really sustainable, we really feel that it's important to focus on all the levels that are necessary. So focus on your personal leadership, leadership which you, can, you as an individual can do, uh, focus on your team, and also focus on the organizational level.
1: Is it not important that one who is doing a particular job, he is interested and in, and he has a, you know, interest in doing what he's doing? If he's in a wrong job or something mm-hmm. which he dislikes, uh, how yeah. can how can he be happy there?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, and um, you know, I think everybody
5: mm-hmm. can
2: be happy at work, but it's really important to uh, find the joy in. The things that you do but if you're really unhappy in a job i think it's it's you know and not everybody is in a situation that they can change but it's either uh you make the best of it and look at what is good in your job or you try to find a new job mm-hmm. and when you try to look at what's good in your job we always focus on the four pillars of happiness at work yeah. shall i tell them do you yeah, please,
1: please, yeah please go ahead yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, we have asked a lot of people in our workshops of course what makes you happy at work and Uh, When we took all of those answers and put those next to science, what the science says that makes people happy at work, we have uh, uh, developed a model that's called the four pillars of happiness at work, the four P, so it's easy to remember them. There are purpose, people, progress, and positivity. And purpose stands for that what you do is actually important, that it works, uh, that you you have the feeling that you contribute. It has everything to do with meaning. And the second pillar is people, that it's together with other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Progress is about achieving things, getting things done, learning new things and developing yourself. And positivity is about feeling good overall at work. And that doesn't mean that everything in life should be pleasant or fun or always, because life isn't just like that. But if you want to grow and perform, feeling good about yourself is a necessary emotion. So if you have a job that doesn't fit and doesn't fulfill all four pillars, mm-hmm. it's still important to look at what of the what of those, which of those four pillars uh, is fulfilled. Like for example, if you have work that you don't really enjoy, but maybe you have fantastic colleagues and you have fun all day and you feel like you can really contribute to something that's important, then you can still be happy at work. I mean, not all four pillars are equally important. Uh, it differs per person, but it also differs per, per day and per job. So there's always in every job, I think, uh, you can at least find fulfillment in one of the four pillars. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, yeah, it's very, very good that we uh, actually um, sit and reflect, self-reflect and see... Yeah. Out of those four pillars, well, you know, where yeah. where, where do you stand, and yeah. you know, what is more important for you, and are yeah. you fulfilling it, and and yeah. of course the option of you know rather than living a miserable uh, work life, one should uh, try to change if he can. Of yeah. course, uh, but said the jobs are very difficult to find nowadays, so it, yeah. it will be a bit bit difficult. Yeah. But thank you very much for your advice, Fernand, It was a pleasure talking to you, and hopefully, I think we'll be we'll be meeting again sometime on on our drive time show. Thank. Thank you for joining us this afternoon <laughs> thank, thank you very much.
2: much have a nice
1: day you. you too you. so uh yeah that that was uh fernand i think we are pronouncing the name right Fernand under merlin she's a co-founder of happy office and a co-author of the happy office manifesto so that that's why she was talking about the four pillars of a happy work culture and she's also a co-creator of the International Week of Happiness at Work. So, um, of course, with the thirty years of experience in strategic marketing and communications. So, so the thing is that she, out of you know her own interest, has uh, created um, or made a change in in people's life who were struggling in their work, and because of uh, applying this strategy to analyze themselves, where do they stand, self-reflect, and uh, um, understanding the the four pillars of happiness, which, uh, if I can remember, is a purpose, people, progress, and what was the last one? If you remember, uh, yeah,
0: I think that's all I remember. As you said,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so the thing is that that's how you you forget. But but this is the thing that if you, yeah, if if you are um, you know if you can reflect yourself and see where do you stand. And if you're not happy at work, then, of course, then you have to look into it, what you can do about it. And, and rather than, you know, continuing with the work which where you are miserable, I think it's better to change. Now we have, our, I suppose we have the, our next guest as well. It's uh, Rob. Rob is the founder of Tailored Thinking, pioneering evidence-based positive psychology, well-being, and HR consultancy, who were named the UK's HR consultancy of the year 2020 by the Chartered Institute of Personnel Development. Rob was named number eight most influential thinker. By HR Magazine in 2023. He's a TEDx speaker and author, and his ideas and research have been presented at academic and professional conferences around the globe. So here he is with us. Uh, welcome, uh, Rob, this afternoon in Drive Drive show uh, on Radio Voice of Islam.
6: Hi, thanks so much for having me
1: on. Uh, you're very welcome. So uh, the first question I have for you is, what are the key psychological factors that contribute to an individual's job satisfaction
6: yeah it's a great question so the way i look at job satisfaction and, and engagement is around thinking about people's light bulbs above people's heads so if you imagine walking around in the workplace right you can see people's light bulbs and whether they're, how bright they are in terms of the how fully lit they are so that's kind of how i how i look at it and my work is around how we can make those light bulbs brighter and those psychological components that you mentioned, there's three things that I encourage organizations and teams and leaders to look out for. So one's around competency. So to what extent are we, as an individual, able to tap into the things that they're good at, their competencies, their strengths, their interests, their, interest, their passions. So that's kind of number one. That's their competencies. The second psychological factor is around autonomy. So as individuals, as humans, we love having some independence and flexibility in terms of how we do things. So if we feel that we've been able to shape a task or an activity or shape our work in some way, have our own individuality um, in that task or activity, we tend to uh, be more satisfied at work. And then lastly, the class factors around purpose. So again, as individuals, as humans, we like to feel what we're doing is, is purposeful, that there's meaning behind it, that the work that we're doing matters. And so again, as a, an individual, it's around, can you see and feel that the work that you're doing has some meaning, some, some high purpose? And the way I think about those, those those ideas are competencies, autonomy, and purpose is around a cap. So they are they, they, around those cap. So when I'm talking to teams and leaders, I think about are you giving people a cap uh, on, their, on their work?
1: So what about different personalities you know all the you know everybody is a different personality and, and they are different personality types as well. So how does that impact job satisfaction?
6: yeah again a great question um, I think absolutely the way to incre- increase job satisfaction is to accommodate uh, our individual differences uh, So my perspective of great work is around embracing our diversity um, and individual differences and personality traits are certainly, One aspect of that, and I think the best thing an organization can do or the best thing an individual can do is think about what are the things that are going to set them up for success. So if someone is introverted, and I'm an introvert, um, speaking to you to the the today, I know that um, I'm aware of the things that give me energy and the things that take energy from me. So things that give me energy are solo tasks where I can focus. On, on activities going kind of by myself. I know that that's something I really enjoy I enjoy doing. It's something that gives me energy. So I try and make sure I have opportunities to do those during the day. Uh, I know that I had, yesterday I gave a, a presentation to a large group of individuals, and I know that takes a lot of energy from me. It doesn't mean to say I can't do it, but it means that it takes more energy than maybe someone who's more extroverted. So if I was more extroverted, maybe what I'd be thinking about is what are the things that give me energy or satisfaction at work? And it's more likely to be Having opportunities to be connected to other people, to spend time with other people in a social setting or in a work setting, in terms of building ideas and speaking to other to to other people in a um, in a collaborative and positive way. So, personality types are individual differences are absolutely things that we need to take into account when it comes to job satisfaction.
1: So, how important it is that one is in a job which he likes and um, you know he, he enjoys what he's doing.
6: Yeah. Well, I think it's really, really important. So, if you're an organisation or you're an individual, life life is pretty short, right? So, from an if we were looking at this from an individual perspective, I would argue that if possible, I appreciate there's many people who need to work for many, many different reasons, and we don't always have choice and opportunity available to us, and sometimes we have to get what we're given. Um, But if we do have that opportunity. I would argue that life's too short to be spent doing something that, that doesn't bring us happiness and joy. It doesn't mean to say that you have to enjoy every element of your joy. And actually, the research shows that as long as you're doing 10 to 15 percent of tasks and activities that bring you joy and happiness, that can kind of buffer and uh, mitigate some other aspects that you don't necessarily can enjoy as much. So you don't have to be loving every single part of your day every day to be satisfied at work. You need to have at least 10 to 15 Percent of the, the tasks really orientated to the things that you in, that you enjoy. From an organization's perspective, looking at it from that perspective, if your individuals are unhappy, they're unlikely to bring in their full self to work, they're unlikely to bring their full energy, they're more likely to leave that job and go to another job, so it might mm-hmm. lead to retention issues, and they're unlikely to be performing at their best. So as an organization, if you're looking and you want people to perform at their best and stay with you, then I'd say happiness is a, is a really important question to be looking at.
1: That's great. So what role does work-life balance play in job satisfaction and how can individuals yeah. and organisations improve it?
6: Oh, that's a great, again, a great question. Uh, I would say that work a good work-life balance looks differently for, for everyone in terms of job satisfaction. There's no magic formula when it comes to this and in fact some people, I, I kind of point into this camp, actually don't like this idea of work-life balance particularly helpfully because Work is part of life. So one of the ways I like to frame this or think about this as work-life integration because work is part of our life. It's not something that we do uh, consistently from our life is part of what we of what we do. But I certainly think we need to get a balance between say leisure activities and uh, to those activities that take demands from us such as, such as work and, and, and activities. So it's um, what individuals can do is to think about one of the things that works can work well is to have some really clear boundaries in terms of what you're willing to give to work and where you want to kind of, where you want to stop. So that could be for some individuals being really clear on the number of hours that you're working or when you're going to finish work each day. Uh, and if, if you have some flexibility in terms of that perspective or, and I know that a number of the listeners here today will be working, maybe potentially working from home or working remotely. And one of the things that might be helpful in terms of putting those boundaries is having a, um, a, a really clear Routine for closing your day and some people I work with introduce sort of walking uh, commutes So they actually go for a walk around the block at the end of the day to kind of show that differential between uh, Being at work and being and being at home. So they have that opportunity to to, to to switch off from an organizational perspective What you can do again is to be really clear in terms of your expectations of, of colleagues and one of the things I think there is a lot of organizations aren't very clear about is, and again, this is particularly for knowledge workers, for those individuals where maybe they have access to email, uh, where there's kind of the opportunity to be on and working 24-7, uh, then to actually to be really clear on what the expectations of your colleagues are. So, you know, for example, if you send an email at night, are you expecting someone to respond to that? Are you happy that people end at a certain time within the day and don't check and respond to work so they can come in the next day with more more energy and vitality rather than having to kind of work late all the time or be worrying about missing an email that a a manager might send late at night. So it's around having those boundaries and expectations of each other, both for the individual and for the organization.
1: Right. Um, Thank you for that. Are, Are there, you know, from the psychological perspective, are there any effective psychological interventions or strategies to enhance job satisfaction in the workplace?
6: Yeah, there's lots, of, there's lots of things you can do to kind of enhance, there's hundreds of things you can do to enhance job satisfaction and job engagement within, within the workplace. One thing a leader can do is to kind of is, is to bring those ideas, that cap ideas to their leadership and their approach so that if they're working with a, with a, with a team or an, an individual, they can think, okay, do I understand my colleagues and my employees, their strengths? Am I talking about them? Am I giving them positive feedback in terms of what they're doing? Um, you can say, am I giving people flexibility in terms of how they do certain tasks? So rather than say, you have to do this task in the way they tell you, it's saying, I, I'm expecting you to do this task and I want you to find your own way um, of, of completing it. So I'm not kind of concerned in terms of how you, how you do it. And they can also point out and be really clear to individuals on the purpose of why they're doing what they're doing. So the impact they're having to their colleagues, their family members, but also their customers that they're serving. So they can actually think what's their contribution they're making in terms of the wider world through the work that they're doing so that's one thing that kind of managers can do and what individuals can do is to kind of be really clear themselves about what are the things that they would like how what the opportunities they have in their control to make their their life better they make their work better so is it around tapping into their own strengths to doing things that they that they enjoy is it ways of um looking at their skills and, and growth so they can grow and develop themselves? Is there some reading they can do or research in, in uh, or volunteer for a particular project? Are there connections with other people they can make at workplace that they enjoy spending time with and learning from? Are there things that they can do that they feel are particularly meaningful and purposeful and try and orientate their work towards those those different ways? And lastly, how can they do things from a well being perspective that they can make their job healthier from a mental or physical perspective? So it could be having <clears throat> for those who get an office workers. it could be going for walking meetings uh, outside or it could be um trying to be mindful of the number of steps you're taking each day if you have a desk-based job so you can get up and move move around uh, or if you have a very physical job is it that you can take regular breaks and looking after yourself and um, so there's lots of things we can do in, in an individual's perspective and the manager's perspective but i keep coming back to these the cap idea in terms of your strength or your competencies the autonomy and Connecting to your
1: purpose and you can't go too far wrong. Uh, that's brilliant. Um, just, just one last co- question before you go. In your observation, are there any interesting emerging trends or uh, areas of study are we seeing about uh, job satisfaction through the psychology psychology lens, particularly in this post-COVID area?
6: Yeah, one of the areas that I'm, I'm actually really interested in myself and in terms of research perspective but also an application is a, is a concept called job crafting. Mm-hmm. so job crafting is encouraging individuals to personalize their approach to work as you said at the start kind of quite rightly we're all different as individuals mm-hmm. and so job crafting is saying why rather than having one sits one size fits all the way to, to doing a job you encourage your individuals in terms of how they can make their jobs better for themselves how they can tap into their strengths and interests and um, so a really great starting point for that is to ask encourage conversations between managers and individuals in terms of how can you improve your job if you could make your job one percent better each 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 week what would that one percent look like what's a positive change you can make without changing the footprint of your job and although a lot of people are concerned or managers in particular get concerned with this idea of crafting and saying i'm not going to to control individuals what we find particularly in the post-covid era is that when you give people that permission they tend to respond in very positive and proactive ways. They craft in ways and improve their jobs in a way that help themselves, but also help their colleagues and help the organization overall.
1: Thank you, Rob. Uh, it was interesting uh, you know, talking to you, and uh, I hope it was beneficial for our listeners as well. Thank you for joining us uh, on DriveTime Show this afternoon on Radio Voice of Islam. Um, no,
6: not at all. Fascinating topic.
1: Thank you. Have a nice evening. Bye-bye.
6: Yeah, you too. Bye-bye.
1: So that was uh, Rob Baker, he's a founder of Tailored Thinking, a pioneering evidence-based positive psychology, and he has given, um, I think, uh, in details, the um, the questions asked to him about the psychological factors which are involved in getting a better job satisfaction. So the factors we were talking about, you know, what they can give us, um, the job satisfaction, one of that is intrinsic motiva- motivation, you know, what... what What motivates to do a particular job? That's very, very important. And the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that by him in whose hand is my soul, if one of you were to carry a bundle of firewood on his back and sell it, that would be better for him than begging a man who may or may not give him anything. So that's a tradition of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, taken from Bukhari, uh, one of the authentic uh, tradition, hadith book. Allah says in the Holy Quran, chapter 16, verse 97, that which you have shall pass away, but that which is with Allah is lasting. And we will certainly give those who are steadfast their reward according to the best of their works. The habit of working hard helps forge a person's character. It is through the relentless dedication Perseverance and unwavering commitment to achieving goals that character is nurtured and strengthened. Hard work instills qualities like discipline, resilience, and a strong work ethic. When individuals consistently push themselves beyond their limits and embrace the value of diligence, they not only achieve success in their endeavors but also develop the moral and ethical fiber that defines their character. But those of us who possess this discipline and resilience, Where does it come from? And if it's so achievable, why isn't everyone motivated the exact same way? Our next guest, uh, hopefully, uh, is going to help us shed uh, some light on this subject. And uh, it is uh, Professor Catherine Shea. She is Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior and Theory at the Tepper School of Business, Carnegie Mellon University. One of the things that Professor Shea's research examines is how and why individuals form connections with others from a motivational perspective that is how an individual's goals and motivation and influence who they reach out to in their networks and how they structure their social world during goal pursuit so we welcome her uh, professor Catherine. thank you and for joining us on this drive time show on radio voice of islam
7: my pleasure
1: Thank you. Um, We'll straight away move on to the questions we have for you. I want to utilize uh, the maximum of our time. What are the key drivers of intrinsic motivation in the average person, and are there characteristics which make one person more likely to be easily motivated than other?
7: That's a really great question, and I think that the first part I want to tackle is that are there individual characteristics and. The short answer to that is not really. There's research that is sort of saying, you know, people who are motivated to achieve are more intrinsically motivated. But what I think is the proper answer is that different situations are more or less intrinsically motivating. And so there are situations like working in the not-for-profit world, those are intrinsically motivating. There's also um, managers who are really good at intrinsically motivating people, but it's really difficult to say, you know, extroverts are more intrinsically motivated than introverts, etc. So it's it's all about a, a situational approach. That some situations are more intrinsically motivating, and some people that are managers are better at doing this than others.
1: Okay, so is there a proven relationship between intrinsic motivation and employee well-being? job satisfaction, and overall performance?
7: Yes, there is. And that's why intrinsic motivation is so important because it's these intrinsically motivated employees that are working the extra mile, that are less likely to turn over, that are just happier people to be around in the office. So this is why everyone wants intrinsically motivated people, although it's it's easier said than done. You can't just sort of select them. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, do you have any examples to share for uh, strategies that have been shown to enhance intrinsic motivation in individuals or in groups?
7: Mm -hmm. So, the first I'm going to talk about is cost-free, and it's what we would call framing. And there's a really famous story about bricklayers, and people would talk about going up to bricklayers and saying, well, why are you laying bricks? And the first person, someone would go up to a bricklayer and they say, I am laying bricks. The second person saying, why are you laying your bricks? They say, well, I'm building a wall. And the third bricklayer would say, I'm actually building a city or I'm building a very important uh, building for the, the town square. And These people are all doing the same task, but the framing of the task is more intrinsically motivating when you link your low level task to a high level goal. There's also a really famous story about NASA, and when they were trying to do the space launch in the United States, someone was interviewing all the employees and they went up to the person who was sweeping the floors and they said, Okay, what's your job? Mm -hmm. And they didn't say, My job is sweeping the floor, they said, My job is to get a man on the moon. And that's sort of how managers can frame things Mm -hmm. to be more intrinsically motivated. So this little task you're doing isn't just a little task. It's a task that's helping a bigger person. Then there's the second Mm -hmm. way it's with incentives and incentives that are earlier in the process of your project and also that are surprising and unexpected are more Um, inducing of intrinsic motivation. So those are the things like money, bonuses, giving people those sort of in the first, say, 30% of the project versus the last 70%. That is shown to build intrinsic motivation. And these are more traditional incentives like cash incentives.
1: Very interesting. Uh, Yeah, I I think, uh, of course, this is according to the nature, human nature. They will respond to that. So are there any innovative methods that researchers should consider when aiming to boost intrinsic motivation in, in this digital age?
7: So in the digital age, it, it's I don't think it's that, not that different, but I guess the, the biggest thing I can say is that the mistakes that people make when trying to to get at intrinsic motivation is that they incentivize the wrong thing. And that's really what, What kills intrinsic motivation is that you shouldn't try to incentivize, um, you know, things like you want to incentivize the process as opposed to the outcome. If that makes sense, so you should never give incentives for the final product. You want to incentivize doing the process Mm
1: -hmm. correctly, right? And
7: and that again, and you don't want to incentivize things that people should be doing automatically, like being polite, for instance. You never want to put incentives on that because that just sort of kills the intrinsic motivation so part of it is just linking to the bigger picture but also avoiding over incentivizing people especially incentivizing things that people already want to do in the first place
1: okay that's great thank you very much for joining us this afternoon it was a pleasure talking to you uh, to you Professor O'Shea. And hopefully we'll see you again sometimes in our uh, drive time show in on radio voice of Islam. Thanks for joining us, and have a nice evening. You're welcome.
0: Thank
7: you. you. Too.
0: Bye. So, <clears throat> thank you very much uh, for uh, you know the uh, Catherine who joined us and giving us insight about uh, um, you know instanzic motivation. Now I will uh, just share with you uh, one of the things uh, where we have asked. That are people happy on their workplaces, and uh, <clears throat> so we asked how you know how many people uh, are happy at work. So there are many people who replied, and 23 uh, percent said they are very happy. 54 percent said somewhat they are happy, kind of, and there are 15 they are not sure. Whether they're happy or not and the 8% who say they're unhappy so the majority they think you know they are in between they cannot uh, you know say whether they're happy or not so I think that's what we're discussing today and that's what the day we're celebrating our entire world is celebrating to have uh, you know uh, we should be happy at work about what we're doing so we can bring a positive uh, you know impact on on the on the job we are doing so um.
1: So we were uh, talking about, uh, of course, you know, how we can improve the job satisfaction. How we can? What are the intrinsic factors which are involved in somebody being happy on their jobs? And of course, uh, as we said earlier, that if one is individually happy within uh, oneself and is enjoying the job he is doing, that is going to be um, to be helpful. And the outcome or the product, whatever one is trying to achieve in any. Um, Company, um, it is it is going to be better. And people who are motivated, they are the ones who bring out, um, you know, a lot of new researches, new outcomes, um, new inventions. All these they they come out of the people who are very very motivated. And and uh, these motivated people who who forget about everything else, and they are so involved, deeply involved into their work and uh, research that, uh, you know, they they are happy what they are doing and that's what they are enjoying. And unless you reach that stage, it is it is difficult, um, you know, to, to achieve that kind of or that level of achievements which we can do by that
0: means. Uh, as uh, we are taking some guests, uh, we will be having <clears throat> another guest uh, who we will be, you know, discussing with him. Furthermore, uh, the topic, uh, he's an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, he will be, uh, joining us uh, soon as you know we as we're working as we have discussed many times right now that whatever we are doing we should be you know happy and uh, we should do what makes us happy and find a ways which can bring happiness in the life you know moving on uh, to our guest Arif Raj uh, he's with us Arif Raj holds a master's degree in a social innovation entrepreneurship from the London School of Economics and Political Science he also holds a dual degree from Wesleyan University in Middletown City, USA, which he studied government or where he studied government and you know en- environmental studies. He's a consultant by trade and his latest work includes paper he wrote where he proposed a startup called a social innovation and impact change, or impact exchange foundation, which operates as an education. Tech startup seeking to bridge the gap in understanding between mor- you know, morality and ethics and its place in finance and global development. I welcome him in the show, Arif. Alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today.
8: Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you very much for having me.
0: To start off, um, Arif, could you please tell? You know, you wrote a dissertation about development and finance, which often includes startup ecosystem. Can you please tell? us about uh, more about it.
8: Yeah, absolutely. So as a Muslim myself, who has also worked in a variety of global contexts, whether it's in the United States where I'm from or Europe or Africa, one thing that has always piqued my interest is the fact that customers or beneficiaries of any company or startup differ vastly from any company's customers or beneficiaries in other contexts. Right. And so one of the reasons I think this is, is because, well, obviously people are different because of their cultures. But then as I'm sitting in on one of my master's seminars where we are discussing business case studies and really getting into the crux of globalizing a product or service, I noticed that very often a product can get to the end of the line relatively easily in comparison to say a service, right? So we could take iPhone or Samsung, for example, the need for a phone doesn't differ too much across cultures, right? We all use them pretty much for the same human interactions or what have you. However, one sector that I noticed was increasingly difficult for entrepreneurs to get to market in different contexts was financial products, things like lending activities or other banking systems. I say that because oftentimes microfinance lending was a hot item for business case studies, especially in developing economies, which my program spent a lot of time focusing on. The Social Innovation Program at the LSE is actually really quite cool. Um, It provides students an opportunity to consult on social entrepreneurship uh, companies and activities across Africa, really, but particularly in South Africa and Kenya. But that might be for another time. So anyway, I would sit in these business courses and listen to the different explanations my cohort would have for some of the failures we were seeing. And my cohort had a lot of really smart people, people who I'm proud to call my colleagues. Their ideas were very realistic, very plausible, very smart and robust, but they just didn't seem accurate in my view as a Muslim. So I had the suspicion that the failures we were observing in developing markets, especially those where an overwhelming amount of startups were failing with no real market competition, must have something in common. For me, the apparent answer was faith, and upon investigation I discovered that a lot of the areas that were rife with unsuccessful startup ecosystems were also coincidentally heavily populated Muslim areas. This inspired me to really dig into whether or not people's consumption habits and even their business habits were affected by their faith or religious values. So this became one of the central questions of my dissertation research, and eventually what I created was a way to talk about businesses on the basis of their morality or ethical processes. This is especially crucial to the company that I started as a result of my dissertation research Mm. because the product that I'm selling now is what I believe to be the solution for this problem problem of quote unquote unfavorable market fits, right, that I had observed in class. And really the driving force of my organization's core competencies stems from an expanded framework of morality and ethics that I created analyzing Muslim faith traditions, right? And and along with Muslim faith traditions, I took a look at Judeo-Christian texts, and even secular foundations of morality and ethics. All of this with a particular emphasis on how these beliefs interface with commerce and business to sort of make sense of the issues that I was observing. Now in terms of crafting a value proposition and a revenue model from the research I was doing, I've conducted a substantial amount of research, both qualitative and quantitative, about the consumer attitudes of Muslims. In addition to that, I conducted a similar methodology, only this time focusing on the people most likely to have these poor product market fits, which are largely social innovation and really global development experts uh, and practitioners who tend to be launching these startups that I was observing a, a trend of failure in do largely in part to a lack of education surrounding these ethical and moral beliefs. And so what I found was that the mismatch was oftentimes along these lines of exactly what the hunch was, right? These financial processes that are traditionally used to bring startups to market. Many Muslim entrepreneurs in global contexts. so this includes both developed countries and economies as well as developing markets, Tend not to make a compromise on their faith, even at the expense of their own enterprises. And of course, as you, you might guess, the elephant in the room when we talk about finance from a Muslim perspective is that interest, or the Islamic word riba, is expressly forbidden to consume. And there's, of course, all sorts of rhetoric throughout our Muslim traditions that talk about the, the dangers of riba. And so these are, this is one of the things that, that people really don't uh, compromise on. And so now the company that I've started as a result of my dissertation, and thank you for mentioning it, it's called the Social Innovation and Impact Exchange Foundation, or CX Foundation for short, is trying to serve as both an educational tool for innovators, universities, and other interested parties, as well as serve as an ecosystem facilitator of sorts for new morally conscious, ethically appropriate startups in regions where consumer populations hold strong religious beliefs and uh, want to be heard. So that's a bit about me, uh, what I've been working on. And I, I appreciate you allowing me to share it. Thank you for having me on.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Faz. We would like to have you for longer. But, um, you know, we are coming up with the news break. But I would like we would like to join straight after the news break, which is only two minutes. I think it should be okay with you to join us back after the news break. We would like to have, uh, some, you know, have some other questions uh, we would like to ask you so our listeners can benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much. Uh, Farah, will take you uh, straight after the news break. Welcome back. You're listening to uh, Voice of Islam Radio, and it's Anika Rahman, uh, who is uh, this side. i have joined by Dr. Tariq Bajwa, and we have our guests uh, before the break who were uh, you know, discussing a very important topic and what he's been doing, Arif Farah, with us. And uh, Arif, are you with us? Yes, sir.
8: Yes, mm-hmm. so, once true.
0: again, uh, let's, you know, uh, start once again where we left. Can you please share some key, you know, uh, sorry, uh, I would like to, could you please explain the relationship between the development of startups, you know, and the overall well-being of their employees?
8: Yeah, of course. I think that's a fantastic question. I think, first and foremost, with any startup, the early stages revolve strongly around the vision of the entrepreneur. Right, a lot of times the most successful startups are looking to disrupt an industry in a very contrarian way than what the norms currently reflect. That being said, I think boosting morale or keeping the well-being of employees high, especially at these stages, is in some way directly tied to the way that the employees rally behind the entrepreneur. Um, I think it's a good question to ask in these scenarios is whether or not the employees are genuinely excited about the vision that they're helping to build. And if not, maybe how you can change that, right? So especially in a market where great startups are popping up all over the world and competing for the best and brightest talents, you really want to think about how your leadership style differs from the rest of the pack. Um, It is your responsibility to cultivate your talent, and it is your responsibility to rally them around the vision that you see for your company. I think that further to this point, A good entrepreneur can think about avenues of compensation whether or not it's too early to be offering equity in return for labor than cash compensation is really a case-by-case decision based on your company or your industry but there are certainly other avenues of compensation that you can integrate into the workplace that helps to boost these factors right like remote working options are incredibly popular nowadays unconventional hours some people like to work outside of this nine-to-five window or a shorter work weeks depending on the types of roles that your employees might be working in. All of those, I think, are, are, are suitable options.
0: Indeed, indeed. Um, um, Arif, uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective, how do you believe job satisfaction impacts overall businesses' success and growth?
8: Yeah, I think that this is uh, another great question. And it's really interesting because I don't think there's necessarily one correct answer. Obviously, I think that we'd all like to believe that job satisfaction and a high-powered career are the two main priorities for every person, but I don't think that that's necessarily always the case. And nor do I think that that's necessarily an indication of the type of employee that you have on your hands. I think that in a world that has so much competition for the top talents, True. and a large market, a, a large share of this market would be willing to sacrifice high pay in exchange for working on meaningful work. However, I would not say that this is always the case, right? I mean, people have lives and it's important to recognize that when you're employing people, especially people in the beginning of a new endeavor, for a lot of people making the highest salary that they can earn is a top priority, right? And so you really wanna identify these people who uh, rally around you as an entrepreneur, rally around your vision for your company um, and, and really rally around the mission, perhaps a social mission uh, that you guys are bringing to life. But I think that if an entrepreneur has reasonable traction targets, the right people around them, you're hitting your sales numbers, you're generating revenue. It's only a matter of time before the entrepreneur is able to increase those salaries, right? And hopefully bring more balance to this job satisfaction versus financial compensation scale that I think that a lot of really talented and motivated employees are looking for. But again, I think that early on as entrepreneurs, we cannot discount the fact that we're relying on the attractiveness of our mission in the beginning. And we're really trying to work towards cultivating a workplace that employees can enjoy, that we can bring a sense of fulfillment to their lives through the work that they're doing and hopefully be a place that they can feel a sense of ownership and responsibility towards uh, being a part of, really.
0: Indeed, you know, well said. Um, Arif, uh, you know, given the resource constraints often forced by entrepreneurs, especially, you know, financial ones, what initiatives can be employed uh, to boost job satisfaction?
8: Yeah, fantastic question. Um, And we sort of touched on it a bit, right? So there are a ton of avenues I think you could take um, to boost job satisfaction, right? Remote working is quite a popular incentive on conventional work hours, right? For the people who don't necessarily subscribe to the static nine to five schedule equity, perhaps for those employees who are exceptional and absolutely central to the success of your company. Maybe that's worth discussing. However, one thing that I, I think goes unnoticed, but ought to get more attention is the way that you as an entrepreneur come across as a motivator. It's unlikely that anyone in your team is going to see the vision that you have in your mind for the company exactly as you see it. Right. And that's a a really critical piece of this puzzle. So how do you recognize, how do you recognize and reconcile these differences really, right? It's not enough to just identify it, but how are you actively working towards it when you talk with your employees and you evaluate their work and maybe their assignments, are you allowing your employees space to think creatively? to deviate from the rigidness of our minds that sometimes puts in place for our goals, right? If not, it might be well worth your time to think about how to change that. And I think one reason why it's incredibly important to change that is because obviously people want to feel valued and the way that people express themselves is through their work and their ideas. It's important to cultivate an attitude in a workplace that truly welcomes the attempts of your employees to contribute value. And when people put forth, put forth their efforts and create something valuable, they also want to feel a sense of ownership and direction of the work, right? And so try to reconcile this with the wider vision of your organization. And I expect that if this is done successfully, you'll find that you can retain some pretty high caliber talent, even in times of financial constraint that you might be facing, whether that's in the beginning or the middle of whatever stage you're in uh, with your organization really.
0: Uh, true indeed. Uh, you know, uh, Arif. What about you know sole proprietors, People working for themselves as you know a one man team. Is there anything that the more successful ones do that maybe everyone else can learn from?
8: Absolutely. I think um, sole proprietorship is increasingly common, especially right with the the advent of social media and all of the the digital marketplace that we do have, it's becoming increasingly popular and an increasingly viable way to go about these things. So one of the things that I've seen that has become incredibly popular along with it are are virtual assistants, right? It's sort of a way to delegate tasks uh, to people or or to automate tasks, sort of the mundane things. Hmm. And even if you're not using a virtual assistant, it takes us to our next, point, right? Which is automation. You really, when, when you're by yourself, you really want to be focusing on crafting the mission and the identity really of your organization. And so you really want to be automating the things that are sort of mundane tasks, but must get done. Right? So a good way to do that. um, Obviously AI is quite hot um, right now. And so, so look into that. I think that's fantastic. Something that may not just be for sole proprietors, but I think is incredibly useful and valuable, is the fact that there's a plethora of the grant funding available. You just have to seek it out, right? So a lot of these, a lot of profits centered around entrepreneurship have robust resource banks for this exact reason. Um, perhaps even after this segment, I could forward you a list of resources that you can make available to your audience. I don't have it quite on hand with me right now, but there, there's plenty of funding um, throughout the UK, throughout Europe, um, in the States, I know for sure, um, for this exact reason. And then the last thing that I would say, which I I feel goes incredibly underrated is, you know, your network, but not just your professional network, your friends and your family are often a great source of community, right. That you could tap whether, even if it's not for financial gain and you're just looking for, uh, community and and motivation, these are the people that understand you the best, right? And so perhaps they're most likely to understand your vision. And you don't even necessarily have to limit this to people immediately inside of your nuclear family. I think that if you're already on this path of entrepreneurship, you've probably met some really interesting people along the way, whether that's your professors, new friends, mentors, friends of friends. All of these, I think, are really great types of people that you you could sort of lean on uh bounce ideas off of depending on how early you might be um but especially for those sole proprietors maybe get out of the the, the echo chamber that you could sometimes make in your mind and and talk to these people in your network um even over something as simple as a coffee chat
0: um thank you very much for joining us today definitely you know our listeners have benefited from this and uh, you know, learn something new, and uh, I think they will open the ways uh, for them how to you know progress in their life. Uh, I was a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you very much for joining us today. And I think it's still the in the morning uh, in USA, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was about it, to it say is, good uh, evening, but I think there's no point. <laughs> <You're> still, <in. laughs> okay.
8: It's it's just past noon. I do appreciate it. I I did want to say one more thing, if Definitely, I may. yes. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, If you're interested in anything I've said on this segment, especially uh, in regards to some of the social impact things, if you're interested in business ethics, um, perhaps even writing about business, or even maybe sales, I'm always open to connect for conversations. Um, I would love to hear your audience's thoughts, your critiques, your ideas. I'd love to get you involved, really. And um, if you'd like to reach me, you could reach me at my email, that's A-R-E-F dot F-A-R-R-A-J at gmail.com. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much, guys.
0: Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you.
8: Thank you. You as well.
1: Very interesting. Um, uh, the topic we were discussing today is, is how uh, to achieve workplace happiness and what are the things of just because the last week of September is celebrated as um, you know encouraging people to create workplace happiness. those who are involved as employers and as well as employees they are encouraged. And we have learned today that uh, it's not a mere luxury but a fundamental necessity for our professional and personal well-being. We have explored the importance of fostering positivity in the workplace and in professional relationships finding purpose in our roles, and maintaining a healthy work-life balance. We have also learned that happiness at work is not solely the responsibility of the employer. It is a shared journey that involves both employers and employees. By prioritizing workplace happiness, we not only boost productivity, but also enhance our overall quality of life. So let's continue to prioritize our happiness at work, creating environments where we can thrive and ultimately live more fulfilling and satisfying lives. An important aspect which we would like to touch on today is volunteer work. Engaging in charity work alongside one's day-to-day job is another powerful way to cultivate a profound sense of fulfillment. When we integrate acts of uh, giving into our daily lives, we not only contribute to the betterment of society but also enrich our own existence. This dual commitment serves as a reminder that our purpose extends beyond the confines of our professional responsibilities. It fosters a sense of interconnectedness, reminding us of our shared humanity and the responsibility we bear for one another. Furthermore, the act of giving, whether through time, resources, or skills, often leads to a deeper appreciation for our own blessings and privileges. It is through this balance of career and charity that we can find a more holistic and meaningful fulfillment as we work not only for personal success but also for the betterment of the world around us. Allah says in the Holy Quran, Chapter 3, Verse 15, Beautified for men is the love of desired things, women and children, and stored up heaps of gold and silver, and pastured horses and cattle and crops. That is the provision of the present life, but it is Allah with whom is an excellent home. This verse enumerates some of the things of this world which engross man's attention and often turn him away from God. Islam does not prohibit the use or even the seeking of the good things of this world, but it certainly condemns the action of those who become engrossed in them and make them the very object of their life. Worldly achievements are certainly to be acknowledged and appreciated, but They are not meant to be the foremost priority in one's life. Instead, the primary focus should be on spiritual growth, moral development, and the pursuit of righteousness. While material success and accomplishments can be valuable tools for serving humanity and fulfilling one's responsibilities, they should never take precedence over one's relationship with God and the ethical principles laid out in the Quran and the Hadith. Islam teaches that the pursuit of wealth and worldly status should be tempered by humility, gratitude, and a sense of social responsibility. Ultimately, a balanced approach that places faith and moral values at its core ensures that worldly achievements are not an end in themselves, but a means to attain a higher purpose and a more meaningful existence in both this life and the hereafter. We'll be um, talking in our next uh, session um, on a a topic which is about self-reflection and connection with God. So uh, uh, we will be joining you shortly after a short break.
4: The purpose of the voice of Islam is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform and relate to the needs of every era and every person.
5: The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs each week, 24 hours a day. Tune into our current affairs programs, such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace.
3: Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate, and dialogue.
5: Find out about faith in the current age with Science Hour, And around the table. Welcome back to The Science Show here on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
0: rahmatullahi wa wabarakatuh. Welcome back after the short uh, break. This is the second hour of today's show, and we will be discussing uh, another important topic here in um, Voice of Islam Radio from London. My name is Anikur Rahman. I'm joined by Dr. Tariq Wajwa here in the studio in this particular hour we will be discussing a very important topic uh, which is self reflection and self reformation we'll be discussing some advantages of self reflection and understanding why it's important and why it's needed especially you know it was regardless if it was this day or this era or the era before this we need self reflection we need self reformation and we have to work continuously on this so we you know, become a better person every day. You know, I will start off. You know, enhance self-awareness. Self-reflection helps individuals become more aware of their thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. you know, leading to better understanding of themselves. This can be, you know, lead to improved decision making and emotional regulation. So, as you know, engaging in self-reflection allows people to identify areas for improvement and growth leading to continuous personal development and by understanding their own triggers and emotions individuals can you know communicate more effectively and empathize with others resulting in improved relationship and at the end you know the self-reflection you know encourages critical thinking and problems you know solving skills by analyzing past experience and their outcomes. And reduce, how to reduce the stress? You know, the regular reflection can be helped manage stress by providing insight into its underlying cause and helping individuals develop coping strategies. There's another way, you know, increase emotional in, in, intelligence, which is self-reflection contributes to emotional intelligence by enabling individuals to better understand their own motivations and those of others. Then you know effective goal setting, which is very important, again comes under the self reflection. You know, it allows individuals to align their goals with their values and desires, increasing the likelihood of achieving them. Then enhanced leadership skills, you know, which leaders who engage in self reflection are more adaptable, empathic and capable of making informed decisions. Then You know, one thing is very important to boost, you know, know, creativity. Reflecting on one's experience and thoughts can lead to new insight and innovative ideas, fostering creativity. At the end, you know, improved well-being. Self-reflection contributes to overall well-being by, you know, promoting mindfulness, self-compassion, and sense of purposes. Whatever I mentioned, it was taken by different sources where they have come up with this, that how one can, you know, self-reflect on himself. How can self-self-reformation can be done?
1: Of course, you know the uh, the Islamic teachings. Uh, the, the most important thing is that one one should try to reform oneself. And in order to reform oneself, obviously, it is not merely that you think about it and it just happens. You have to make a plan, and you have to self-reflect, and and then you take into consideration what are the the best things which which can deform you as a as a whole <coughs> and uh, islam has placed significant emphasis on self reflection and self reformation as integral aspects of spiritual growth and personal development the teachings of islam encourage believers to constantly assess uh, assess their assess their thoughts actions and intentions in order to align them with the principles of the faith and uh, we we will be speaking to our guest today um, shortly, um, and we can ask him questions about how uh, important it is to self reform and what are the means uh,
0: uh, through which we can achieve that. Yes, indeed, we have a uh, you know a guest. He is an Imam, Imam Hadi Mashud who is uh, you know with us, and I welcome him in the show. alaikum, Peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today
9: for
0: having me Imam Hadi, if we you know ask as we know we're discussing the self- affirmation and uh, uh, you know uh, self-reflection, we are discussing what Islam says and how we can you know, bring uh, a change within ourselves, how we can reflect so in this regard, you know somehow it is connected to become a righteous and pious person. I would like to ask, you know what is sin, and what does Islam says about good and evil?
9: So um, in Islam, uh, the concept of, well, if we think about it, if we backtrack a bit and we think about every human being, every human being has a sense of what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Every single person has kind of moral conduct that they live their lives by. Uh, But the difference between someone who believes in a religion and someone who doesn't believe in a religion um, is that A person who uh, who doesn't believe in a religion, he takes his moral conduct from his own mind, his own thinking, uh, what is good and what is evil. But um, on contrary to that, a person who believes in religion believes that God Almighty has given him and has taught him what is good and what is evil. So in Islam, uh, the concept of good and evil is related to that. A sin evil action in Islam is considered thing which we is forbidden by God mighty has forbidden an action and someone does it it's a sin when someone uh, obeys the commandments of God Almighty is a good action Um, and it doesn't relate to you know just worshipping God Um, it it can be anything Uh, it's in Islam put uh, a lot of emphasis in Islam Islam put a lot of emphasis on uh, uh, the rights of human beings for example the Holy Prophet sallam, he has given an example um, and he says that even if you put a morsel in your wife's mouth and with the intention that you're doing it for God that uh, will be considered a good deed and you will be rewarded for that so, uh, bottom line is that in Islam, good and evil is uh, dependent on what the commandment of God Almighty is, um, and also, evil actions take us away from God Almighty. And good actions they bring us closer to God Almighty. That is the simple explanation of what Islam considers a sin and a, a good good deed.
0: Indeed, Imam uh, uh, Hadi, you know, if moving on as you mentioned about the sin <clears throat> for self-reformation, especially to, to in Islam and uh, to become a person who is near to God Almighty and or if self-reformed person, you know, it's very important for him to avoid sin. Can you please tell our listeners how can one avoid sin according to Islam?
9: So according to Islam, uh, there is a verse in the Holy Quran, عز وجل نشيطون الرجيم. That God Almighty has given us this uh, very uh, small rule, uh, that while you are self-reforming yourself, remember that good deeds. Uh, if you are think, if you're thinking that you're doing something you know, not right, increase in good deeds. Those good deeds will take away the bad deeds at once. There are several uh, in Islam. There are several deeds that are considered, uh, which will, if you do them, it will take away the bad deeds. One of them, uh, the Holy Prophet صلى has told us, is istighfar. Istighfar literally means to ask forgiveness, but the meaning is very vast. Uh, uh, in comparison to just asking forgiveness, but even if we take the uh, simplest meaning of Istighfar, which is to ask forgiveness, and then, uh, you know, that is the way to strengthen ourselves to avoid sin in the future, according to Islam. Promise Messiah, la Islam, Hazrat Ahmad, al Islam. He has given us uh, a way. He 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 gave us. Example of our physical body that are just like a physical body. You know, if you want to avoid getting ill, if you want to safeguard yourself from illnesses, you train it, um, and you you know you uh, train it so that it is safeguarded from illnesses. Just like that, you need to if you want to safeguard your spiritual body from uh, spiritual illnesses, which is basically sins. Uh, then you have to do so far then you have to constantly ask God Almighty for, to forgive yourself You have to constantly think about all the bad sins that you have done and how you can reform yourself If You're doing that. You're not only uh, God Almighty will not only forgive your sins will also protect you from doing uh, any uh, sins in the future um,
0: Thank you very much, you know nicely explained and um, now moving on to self-reformation we are discussing and in, in light with, you know, the, the understanding of uh, good and evil and avoid sin, how important uh, is self-reformation in Islam?
9: Um, it, it is really uh, very, very important because we see in the Holy Quran again and again God Almighty is talking about self-reformation, asking God Almighty for uh, forgiveness. You know even the holy prophet sallam, we believe to be the most perfect man he was uh, you know uh, 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 told to do istokfad. and that you know needs a, a needs an explanation as well but that shows you the importance of always striving to be better um, the promised Messiah he has given the example of stagnant water he says that the stagnant water becomes foul um, and it is the running water which is always clean. You should always be, you know, just like a running water, you should always be uh, reforming yourself and always trying to improve yourself uh, in Islam. The Holy Prophet wa sallam, um he told us a story and which shows the importance of repentance and the importance of uh, trying, to, uh, trying to reform yourself it is said that the holy prophet ﷺ told the story of a person who had killed 99 people um, and uh, he then he that person thought that you know it's time to reform myself it's time to ask for forgiveness so he started inquiring about the most knowledgeable person and he finally got one and he asked him you know i've killed 99 people so how do i you know reform myself that knowledgeable person, he was really shocked. Said you can't. And when he said that, you know, he became, you know, of course it had become a habit of killing people. So he killed that knowledgeable person as well. Now he had hundred people that he had killed. And he started inquiring because his uh, intention of reforming himself that was. Uh, so Started inquiring about another knowledgeable person that you know could help him, so he got another one, and so he told him, that "If you want to reform yourself, then you should leave this town and go to another town, and you just leave behind this bad influence that you're having." So he, you know, he made the intention of reforming himself and traveled to that town. Before he had done any good deeds. He had, you know, reformed himself while he was traveling, he uh, died. So, the uh, God Almighty, the importance of reformation is so much. Even before he had reformed himself, God Almighty forgave all of his sins because he had made that intention of reforming himself.
0: Um, you know, an amazing, uh, you know, incident you have mentioned, and uh, I think I would like to add, even. There was a fight on it whether that uh, <laughs> angels want to, dis, you know, put him in hell, and God wanted him to forgive him because he decided, you know, to do to do start, you know, uh, going to the path which uh, which the path of righteous people and to, to to reform himself, and eventually God said, you know, uh, you know, just count the steps he has taken. If it's more towards, you know, the, the way he's going to reform himself, definitely then forgive him, and def- he was forgiven. Uh, the story ends uh, Imam, uh, you know, you have mentioned very beautifully and explained uh, this importance of self-reformation I think somehow the self-reformation is linked with tawbah as well, when you do tawbah self-reformation happens, can you please a you know, little explain uh, what is tawbah in, in term of Islam
9: um, So in Islam, uh, what we believe in in Islam is that without God's help can't do anything so that's a bit, uh, different concept from someone who doesn't believe in God, for example, uh, someone who believes in God. Uh, someone who doesn't believe in God, he would rely all, uh, all of his formation skills on his own ability to reform himself. A person who believes, and uh, especially a Muslim, he believes that every action, he can't take any action without the help of God. So that's where, where the concept of Tawbah comes in, because God Almighty has told us, if you want to reform yourself, and uh, you know seek forgiveness of God Almighty. You know, uh, have true regret, and then seek forgiveness of God Almighty. The Promised Messiah Al-Islam, has actually explained how firm your resolve should be, um, of how you know, your re- resolve to reform yourself be so strong, he said, that it should be so strong that even if you throw it into fire, even then your uh, resolve shouldn't deter. So that is the kind of uh, resolve he did to repent and eventually, after repenting, then uh, work towards reforming yourself.
0: Um, true. Um, Imam Hadi at the end, I would like to just ask you, you know, the perfect example we have, I think he is he is the one who shown us the path how you can you know you know reform yourself and how you can find God Almighty. Of course, we had the Prophet before him, but you know the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You know he had uh, he was a perfect example, and he has shown that how one should be asking forgiveness. So could you please tell our listeners what was Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi example and why did he you know even seek forgiveness if he was a perfect human being?
9: So i mentioned this before that the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi was also asked, uh, was also commanded by God Almighty to uh, uh, seek forgiveness. Uh, not forgiveness but forgiveness. Um, and there's a difference that comes uh, here because forgiveness, is closely related to seeking forgiveness. But in Arabic, istighfar, the meaning of istighfar is much more worse. Um, so istighfar, you know, simply put, means to uh, cover. So you're asking God Almighty, lafada, means to cover something far basically you're asking god almighty to cover your sins but we know that the holy prophet وسلم, he was a perfect human being and not just the holy prophet وسلم, any prophet uh, we believe that he any prophet is a sin we still know from examples of other prophets uh, that human weaknesses are still found in, uh, in Prophets. So the, what we believe is that uh, God Almighty told uh, the Holy Prophet ﷺ to do Istagfar. The reason for that is that uh, not only does Istagfar seeking forgiveness, the concept of Islam about seeking forgiveness is not only about the spiritual illnesses. It is also about the human weaknesses that are found in every human being. So you're basically asking God Almighty to cover up those sins or human weaknesses that you have so that God Almighty can protect you from any future uh, bad outcomes that it can lead to. So that is the concept of istighfar, and that is the reason why the Holy Prophet, وسلم, even though he was the perfect human being, and even though he never sinned, uh, that's why he was uh, commanded by God Almighty to do istighfar, so that he, even his human weaknesses, they could be covered up, the, the bad outcomes wouldn't, and it wouldn't lead to any bad, bad outcomes.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Imam Hadi uh, You have explained uh, in a very beautiful manner. I hope our listeners have uh, you know, um, benefited from this and understood the concept of uh, you know, evil and good and how we can avoid sin and how you know, God is there for us and He accepts our repentance. And the day we want to reform ourselves, God says, I am there for you. It's never too late. As you know, God has helped, as you mentioned, one of the incident. If somebody start taking steps towards God Almighty, God Almighty will come running to him and you know to protect him and show him the right path. Thank you very much, Imam Hadi, for joining us today and uh, giving your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you. <inaudible> so you were listening uh, to Imam Hadi, He joined us from Keithley, and uh, he is the missionary there appointed by the Ahmadiyya Muslim association serving as a devotee of uh, of Islam Ahmadiyat he has discussed in depth the you know the, the concept of uh, sin and concept of istighfar which is very important and one should be you know in uh, continuously you know reading istighfar and, and with the understanding that what istighfar means it protects you know it, you ask forgiveness in a way from god almighty the, the previous sins and it protects you from the future, you know, uh, shortcomings may occur from you. And that's why, you know, we see the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, the, he used to read, he used to say istighfar a lot, and he's shown through his example, you know, you should be reading this, regardless if you have done this any sin or not. And one, that you should be grateful to God Almighty, you should be praying to God Almighty. Every single thing, you know, understanding of good and evil and avoiding sins and reform yourself and the true repentance and is connects you to, to, to God Almighty. If we are not doing this, definitely we can we cannot say or we cannot you know connect to God Almighty. We cannot please God Almighty. And we cannot have a strong bond with God Almighty. And this is the ultimate purpose of us coming to this world.
1: Just to summarize, I know what are the key concepts that Islam gives regarding self-reflection and Self-reformation, these are the steps we one can take and when one can go through this process uh, of self-reformation, it is going to help. So the very first and foremost is the self-accountability. Islam has taught us that individuals are accountable for their own actions on the Day of Judgment. Therefore, self-reflection is crucial to evaluate one's, dese- one's deeds and ensure they are in accordance with the teachings of Islam the second thing is that you were just talking about is seeking forgiveness tawbah self reflection helps believers recognize their shortcomings and sins islam encourages seeking forgiveness from allah through sincere repentance and a commitment to improve so only just repentance is not enough one has to have the commitment to improve himself and to you know to to move forward Similarly, purification of heart, tazkiah. You know, tazkiah is one of the jobs of a prophet, which is mentioned in the Holy Quran. And we see when Prophet Abraham, uh, on whom be peace, he was praying to God Almighty. And he prayed that a a, a messenger should be sent in this uh, area or this uh, place, which was obviously future Mecca. He, he was he praying that, the, that you should appoint somebody who could purify people. So it's very essential that you remain in the company of the people uh, who are pure people because they are the ones who can purify you. So self-reformation involves purifying the heart from negative traits such as arrogance, envy, and anger. The Quran and Hadith emphasize the importance of developing qualities like humility, patience, and compassion. So intention is uh, the 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 very basic. That's where you start from. That you know you you intend or you make a formal intention within your heart that from this day onwards. I am not going to do this thing which is forbidden or which is for prohibited, or I have got a, this bad habit, so you so you want to leave it, and Islam places great importance on that intention behind actions you know when you are saying prayers, in fact, when you start saying your prayers, although you know you you know that you are going to say prayers, but it's important that you say the niya, the intention that I'm going to say prayers i'm going to be I'm right in front of uh, i'm standing before. God Almighty, and that makes a difference when you your your uh, concentration in prayers. So, self-reflection helps believers ensure their intentions are sincere, and, and they are solely there for the sake of pleasing God Almighty. Continuous improvement is essential. Islam promotes the idea of continuous self-improvement and encourages believers to strive for excellence in their faith, character, and conduct. And then, again, you learn from your mistakes, and self-reflection helps you. You can understand where did you do, um, where did you err, where did you make a mistake so that you can improve. And uh, unless you self-reflect, it's not possible that uh, because you would not know even uh, where did you make a mistake, where were the errors were made uh, so that you don't make it next time. Again, accountability in private and public matters. Islam has emphasized that self-reflection extends to both personal and public matters. Believers are encouraged to reflect on their conduct in all aspects of life. Tafakkur, Tafakkur is a word, Arabic word used for mindfulness. The Quran encourages believers to reflect upon the signs of Allah's creation and the lessons contained within them. This practice of mindful contemplation deepens faith and understanding. Then again, we were earlier talking in the first hour, talking about how how to be happy at your workplace and creating a balance between your personal private life and your work life. So balance is is very essential that worldly and spiritual aspects, they should be in balance for example you know if you are not healthy enough you can't do your worship you can't say your namaz you can't keep your fast you can't go on hajj so it's very essential that you keep yourself healthy and for you know for your day to day needs if for example you want to take part in zakat you want to take part in contributing financial contribution towards you know spreading the message of islam unless you are you have earned enough and you are well-to-do. You cannot do that. So, um, and, and there is a famous incidence that uh, once the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he um, told his companions that if you start reading, um, uh, you know, the um, there are certain words which were subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, and Allahu Akbar, 33 times each, subhanAllah, and alhamdulillah, and 34 times, Allahu Akbar, then God will bless you. And he will reward you for that because these were the people who are poor people. And they said that we are we cannot afford to contribute financially in financial matters. So so the holy prophet, may peace be upon him, said that if you read that, then you Allah will compensate this for you. And after a few days, you know, he saw that uh, they came again and they complained that even the people who are well off, they have started re- re- reading these as well. So what should we do? And, and he said that, you know, this is the grace of Allah. This is his blessing to whomsoever he gives. So, you can't do anything about that. So, if one God Almighty has given us wisdom... And you you need to create a balance so that you are able to to participate in this sort of financial sacrifices as well. And for that, you need to earn money. And for that, God Almighty has given you wisdom, knowledge, and you should utilize that. And not only that you should yourself utilize that, you should also distribute to others. You should give it to others so that they can also benefit out of you and uh, the best example we have is that the life of the Holy Prophet may peace be upon him himself because, uh, you know, he he was he was the best of the creations yet he was always self-reflecting he was al- always insisting upon self-reformation and he regularly engaged in seclusion and contemplation uh, during the last 10 days of Ramadan for example he would sit for a taqaf and he will meditate and he would um, understand and he would, uh, you know, um, uh, try to understand the teaching of the Holy Quran uh, so supplication is the, the f- is the foremost thing that when you self reflect you cannot you cannot purify yourself by just you know working on it you have to seek help from god almighty because he is the one who says that i am the one who can purify someone so nobody can claim that he has been purified unless allah purifies him so we should turn to him and five times prayers are the, the best for you know, reaching God Almighty to for, for help.
0: Indeed, uh, <clears throat> one of the mean is the Holy Qur'an and to understand God Almighty more, we'll listen to one of the audios for that and uh, we'll be joined back straight
7: after that.
3: <laughs> With the passage of time, the true message of the Holy Quran has been diluted and even lost by many of the Muslims of the world, many of whom have used it to further their own agendas. The purpose of this video is to provide you with the true message of the Holy Quran. The concept of God is found in all religions. In fact, the basis of all religions is the existence of God. However, as there were no means available to preserve old scriptures, the message of unity of God has been modified into many different gods, figures and powers. The Holy Quran is the only holy book that very clearly defines and resolves this issue. The message of the Holy Quran is the unity of God and it provides various arguments in favor of the oneness of God. Now we will speak with various scholars of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community who will elaborate on the message of the Holy Quran.
4: The Holy Quran talks of uh, absolute oneness of God, unity of God, and there is no ambiguity about it. There is no compromise on this issue. God is one, he has no partner. The Holy Quran uh, gives a very strong argument in favor of uh, oneness of God. For example, it says that uh, if there would have been different gods, this universe uh, could have not functioned.
3: The Holy Quran claims that the creator of this universe is a living God and that he reveals himself and establishes a relationship with his creation in this age in the same manner in which he used to reveal himself in the past.
4: There are different kinds of relationships mentioned in the Holy Quran. The relationship between creator and the created. One is Rabbul Alameen, that he is Lord of all the worlds. So God who has created us, he has not abandoned us because he loves us. We are his creation. That is the meaning of Rabb, that he is the creator, he is the owner, he is the sustainer and He has not abandoned His creation.
3: The Holy Quran claims that God is the king and the master of the heaven and the earth and the entire universe runs on His command. We can win His pleasure by becoming His humble servants.
4: Then God talks of a relationship very interesting and that has to be taken in the metaphorical sense. That is the relationship of father and the son. Uh, Allah says, uh, You remember Allah as you remember your fathers. The relationship between uh, God-Father and uh, those who are the spiritual sons and daughters of God. Unfortunately, the Christians have uh, taken it literally. So, we believe that Jesus Christ, peace be upon Him, was the Son of God in the metaphorical sense, not in the physical sense.
3: The Holy Quran describes Islam as a religion of peace. It covers all aspects of human life and delivers a message of peace to its adherents in their relationship to fellow human beings as well as their relationship to God. If you uh,
4: see the word Islam means
3: peace. The
4: The root of Islam, Sinlam, Mim, has the meaning of peace. Uh, on daily basis, we, we say everybody, As-Salaamu Alaikum, peace be on you. We believe that uh, Allah is As-Salaam. As-Salaam means source of peace. So the religion who means peace, the prophet who has sent and who is As-Salaam, he teaches on daily basis that hundreds and thousands of times you say peace and peace and peace and the prophet you follow is, uh, has not only brought peace but is more than that, that he is mercy for all the world. How that religion can say otherwise?
10: Islam wants to bring about a permanent peace, starting with individual peace. You can only have individual peace when you're in a state of submission to God. If you submit to the will of God and and follow His commandments precisely to the letter, you'll attain, attain that level of individual peace that cannot be attained any other way. You can try any path you want to find individual peace. Unless you're at peace with God, you can't find it. It's impossible. That individual peace turns into family peace, it builds into social peace and it builds into larger and larger volumes of peace that can eventually encompass the entire world, resulting in world peace.
3: The Holy Quran talks extensively about freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience and all basic human rights. No previous scripture explained these freedoms in such detail, let alone granted them to its followers. The Holy Qur'an is the champion of freedom because it gave equality to those who were being oppressed such as women, slaves, the poor, widows and orphans. Organizations such as the United Nations and world governments have only recently given the rights to their citizens that the Holy Qur'an gave Muslims 1400 years ago. Hadrat Jodhri Muhammad Zafarullah Khan, may God be pleased with him, who was the President of the International Court of Justice in The Hague and President of the United Nations General Assembly wrote a book entitled Human Rights in Islam. In it, he took each article of the United Nations Charter of Rights and Freedoms and proved that each right originated from the verses of the Holy Quran. The Quran testifies that every nation was sent a prophet, whether it was the aborigines of Australia, the natives of the Americas, Africans, or Asians. God sent a prophet to them all at different times to bring them to the straight path. Thus, the Holy Quran is the last teaching which has come to unify all the messages of previous prophets and scriptures under one banner, the banner of Islam.
4: When God sent Adam or Hazrat Adam, the the message was given in a very simple uh, way because uh, this was the beginning of uh, learning of certain concepts. So, God did not Say that the complete teaching will be given to Adam. And then gradually more and more was given. But God was sending teaching which was well suited at that time, which was needed at that time. And never said that this is a permanent teaching. And then in the end the Prophet Muhammad came and the final teaching was given to him. So one way of unification is, that, that, uh, that uh, guidance has been completed.
10: What Islam simply states is there isn't a, a, a wall between Islam and Judaism. There isn't a wall between Islam and Christianity. It's not like, like it's a separate entity. It's simply a continuation of the development of religion, a type of evolution of religion that culminated and found its, its, its pinnacle in the
3: teachings of Islam. Each major world religion is waiting for someone who will come in the latter days to revive their faith and bring peace and harmony to mankind. The Hindus are waiting for the second coming of Krishna, the Buddhists are waiting for the second coming of Buddha, the Jews are waiting for the Messiah, the Christians are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, and the Muslims are waiting for Imam Mahdi. hadrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Gadyani, on whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, claimed to be the Messiah in Mahdi that each world religion was waiting for. The Holy Prophet prophesied that the unification of faiths would take place at his hands.
4: There is another unification mentioned in the Holy Quran that uh, it is Allah who has sent down this prophet and uh, with guidance and with the religion of truth and he will make this religion of his victorious over all other religions. Even if those who associate someone with God may not like it. So this is a prophecy which will be fulfilled and which is being fulfilled during the time of uh, Imam Mahdi al
3: promised Messiah, on whom be peace, made his claim in 1889 in Qadian, India. Today, his followers number in the millions and are spreading the true message of the Holy Qur'an to all corners of the earth. To learn more about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, please visit www.alislam.org. The promised
5: Messiah, peace be on him. Founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam states, When the blessings of Allah are near at hand, He provides the prerequisites for the acceptance of prayer. The heart is stirred, warms up, and begins to glow. When however the moment is not opportune for the acceptance of prayer, the heart lacks that tranquility which results in turning towards God. However much one exerts oneself, the heart does not respond by exhibiting willingness. It is so because at times God exerts His decree so that His will be done, and at other times He concedes to the prayer of His servants. That is why as long as I do not perceive the signs of God's willingness, I do not entertain much hope for the acceptance of prayer. At such times I submit to the will of my Lord with greater pleasure than that which I derive from the acceptance of prayer. Indeed, I know that the blessings and fruits of this submission to the will of God are greater by far.
0: Welcome back. We're discussing the importance of repentance and self-reflection. Indeed, being a Muslim, uh, we have to please God Almighty. We have to connect to God Almighty through self-reform, self-reflection. And the means are there to learn the Holy Quran and send the translation, what God wants from us go through the example, the prime example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and to understand that how he pleased God, how he has found God, how he has done his, uh, you know, reformation, and these are the ways we can do our self-reformation may Allah enable us to do so. At the end, I would like to thank uh, the producer of today's show, uh, Farial Janood Nasser and, uh, you know, Safi Zaitesh, and I would like to thank the technical team working behind the scenes, Badnan uh, for you know making this possible. Until uh, next time, I would like to take a leave. Uh, until next time, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.